Every week, we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Today, we are talking to Rob Balukis. This is, he's a guy who actually describes himself as an everyman Joe, but he also was thrust into some extraordinary circumstances in 2015 when a cycling accident rendered him paraplegic. He actually got hit, uh, or we'll, we'll talk about that. I'm not sure if he got hit, did you? So now he's, he's, he was training for triathlons and now he's back doing triathlons with the goal of doing the granddaddy of them all, the Kona Ironman championships in october of this year so rob thanks so much so much for joining us i'm honored to be here thanks for having me this is cool so triathlon can you describe triathlon for people just because it's a long day yeah it's wacky uh it's three sports in one morning if you're not doing an iron man if you're doing a shorter distance but um it's where you swim and then get on a bike and bike and then you run and there's like four different distances in racing there's the sprint there's the olympic distance that's they do in the olympics that's a little longer then there's the half iron man that's a total of um 70.3 miles and then there's the full iron man distance that's 140.6 total miles in a race 140.6 so so it's what it's like 2.2 miles swim 2.4 swim 112 um 112 bike ride mile bike ride and then a marathon 26.2 yeah just to cap it off i mean a marathon's a big deal for a lot of people and and not only that in kona you're dealing with major hills and major wind and major heat especially on the bike ride right where it seems like you're not even you're not even going anywhere half of the time how do you how do you prepare for something like this um i mean put in the work and that's kind of it's kind of why I chose triathlon um, is that it takes preparation before I did it I wasn't a swimmer biker or runner I didn't do any of those sports growing up um, and uh, I I I well I'm not told I'm not directly answer your question but I'll get there um, but you know when I when I it was something that I knew would be a challenge that would be hard and it's iconic you know like doing any distance triathlon is an accomplishment. And so, you know, it was kind of a bucket list thing. I was, I was getting into my mid thirties and I um, was kind of getting overweight with all the, you know, business lunches and whatnot at Applebee's. This is before your accident. This is when you were able-bodied. Okay. Yeah. And what it was for me, was just, it, you know, you can't, for most of us, including me, like you can't just walk, walk out, you know, and go do a, a triathlon in the morning. Like you need to put in some work and, that's what I was looking for was just something that, um, that I had to, uh, you know, train for every day and keep fit and eat right. And it held me responsible, you know, held me accountable to every day's action when I ate what I did in terms of training or not training and then, and then going out and performing on the day. And that's, and that's like, you know, that there's many, many, many lessons in there that are applicable to life. If you didn't do this stuff before, the running, the swimming, the biking, how quickly did you take to it? I mean, this is because you're talking about equipment. You're talking about buying the bike. I mean, granted, the others are relatively easy, right? You buy a suit, maybe a wetsuit yeah. and some shoes. But, but bikes are specific. They're expensive. Uh, technique, training. How did that work? Like, this is... Here's the funny story. So I, at the time I lived in the Bay Area of San Francisco, I wanted to do the Malibu triathlon because I went to school, I went to college at Pepperdine and um, I hit my joke was, is I, I get to chase uh, J-Lo um, and Terry Hatcher, famous you know movie stars um, around because they were known for doing the Malibu triathlon and there's always a celebrity division. Um, so it was an excuse for me to go out there. And what I did in the Bay Area is I took spin class when it wasn't cool for men, you know, like I took spin class um, and I really enjoyed it. And then uh, I, I, I played a lot of pickup basketball, but my back started giving me a lot of problems. And so um, I, I started getting into spin class and then for running, I'd go out and my only goal was to keep running for 15 minutes. Like that was my first goal and I couldn't do it. 
Um, you know, and then swim was like in the two lane or three lane basement uh, pool at 24 hour fitness in Concord, California, um, where, you know, old, like literally 80 year old women were lapping me. Um, and, uh, you know, who, yeah, who, whose kids were taking them to the grown adult children were taking them to the pool. And that was their therapy. Like they were, they were just sharks. But anyway, that's what I did. And then when I got to Malibu, I rented a bike from a local bike shop. Um, having never really been on the road, which I really don't recommend. Um, and I, you know, I bought a wetsuit and got out there and sucked at the swim. Um, like every 10 strokes, I stopped and like took a breath, looked around. I'm like, okay, no one's pulling me out of the water. I'm not drowning. So I might as well keep going. And finally made it out of that, you know, got on the bike and like immediately loved the bike, especially on Pacific Coast Highway you know, on the Pacific Ocean in Malibu, that was amazing, but it was scary because, you know, I had never contended with winds and hills and people and cars. Yeah, you had no bike handling skills. They don't teach you that at spin class. Zero. And it was, it was, it was exhilarating and, and scary and awesome. Um, and then, you know, and then on the run, it was just survive, you know, it's like it, all of a sudden you got into like probably the heat of the day right at the beach, you know, and it was just survive that. And I crossed the finish line. I think I have a picture of me, you know, my hands in the air and, and my belly out. And I'm like, yeah. And, um, and I, and I, I did like, I was so, I wasn't upset, but I was like, I was, I was so annoyed with how poorly I did in the swim. I'm like, I'm coming back next year. And that's how triathlon hooks you. <laughs> coming back next year and you're going to train really hard. Yeah. Now that I know a little bit more, I'm going to, you know, work on the things that I think I need to work on you know, and then, and every year it's just, you know, you learn a little more and you do it a little better. But were you, were you working with a coach? Were you working with a club? I mean, how do you, you're working on the things that you need to get better, but you didn't know anything. Yeah. So how did you know what you needed to get better at? Well, I mean, you know, it's what the, one of the funny stories is that the first year, I think I did the swim, this is an Olympic distance swim for people who know triathlon. I, I, I feel like it's maybe three quarters of a mile. For reference don't quote me but uh i did it in like an hour and i want to say either like a, like an hour 15 the first year which is insane like insanely slow um and then the next year i said i just want to finish under an hour that's my goal and that's all you know and so i got in the pool more that's all i did was get in the pool more and probably like you know like swimming like golf it's very technique driven and i just practiced my horrible technique more um and i finished in 45 minutes and I was, you know, like, oh, I killed it. I crushed it. Yay. And then two or three years later when I did it, I was talking to some guys when we were starting the race and they were like, hey, remember that year when the current was perfect and we all crushed it? And I went, oh, so it wasn't so much me as it was the current. <laughs> and I wasn't so amazing as I thought I was, you know. But then in, in like, well, one, so one year, I, one year I moved to San Francisco, I started swimming in aquatic park, which is right in front of Ghirardelli. I was one of those crazy people out there in the water that you see when you go on, you go visit San Francisco, swimming in that little uh, cove. And then I joined the Golden Gate Triathlon Club because I did, there was one year, 2015, that I was like, I started the year and I just said, I'm going to join a triathlon club. I'm going to get in the training group um, and I'm going to get some serious coaching on this stuff. And yeah, we set out a plan. We did a sprint distance, um, you know, like, uh, I don't know, 60 days into our training. And then we did um, an Olympic distance, like, you know, at probably three and a half months later at Wildflower, one of the last years of Wildflower, which is like the the uh, Woodstock of triathlon. And then um, those of us who were like crazy were like, hey, let's do an, let's do a half Ironman next. And, and there's one in Santa Cruz, which is like an hour drive, you know, right out of San Francisco. Wow. So just going back just a little bit, you said Olympic triathlon, Olympic distance, Olympic distance is 1.5 K swim. So that's nine or 0.93 miles, right? Yeah. And then a 40 K bike ride and a 10 K run. So 24.8 yep. ride and then a 10 K 6.2 miles. So, yeah. So, so you were basically, I mean, you're almost doing a mile when you were doing that, when you were doing it an hour, then 45 minutes, how did this, so you ended up having an accident mm -hmm. and how, what happened? When I said my friends and I were going to do the Santa Cruz half Ironman, um, we, 
we were nuts. Like we, you know, our, our idea of a good time, I knew I found my crazy little tribe because we thought a good time on Friday night was master swim and then getting up at 4am on Saturday morning and driving across Golden Gate Bridge and going up into, you know, world-class riding out there in Marin. And um, the Labor Day, the weekend before the Santa Cruz Half Ironman we were supposed to do, um, we were riding Lucas Valley Road, which is where Skywalker Ranch is. You know, Lucas, you know, does all the sound for the Star Wars movies. Um, and it's it's a it's a very common route. Um, what once you go past the ranch, there's uh, at the top of the hill, there's a big rock and it's called Big Rock. And you go down the other side and into Casio and out to Point Reyes. And it's this beautiful 45 mile ride. And on the way back at mile 40 or 45, when you come back past Big Rock again, going back home, um, there's one turn that's known for crashing people. It's um, it's it's like it's it's, you know, the fire like fire, you know, and rescue all those people know it well because it's just this one turn. Because what happens is, is you kind of have some gentle turns once you come off the top and you're going downhill and building speed. You have some gentle turns. And then one hard left that doesn't look visually as hard as it is. And I hit that way too fast. Um, and I lost control of my bike and I regained control of my bike just in time for, you know, me to look up, see the double lines going that way for the next turn. And I'm going over the hill, you know, over the side into these trees. And I, I don't remember flying through the air and I don't remember landing um, but I remember thinking my last thought was like, oh, this is it. You know, like when you when you're a cyclist, you you're going to pay your dues and, you know, get doored by a car or fall over and scrape something or, you know, sprain something, break something. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be my injury, you know, my cycling injury. And um, I I looked when I, I didn't like I don't want to say I came to because it wasn't like I was out forever. But when I opened my eyes, I was like, um 20 feet down the hill looking up and I was, there was a log that I may have hit in the air or I may have just uh, landed on down my left side. It was, it basically, I broke my left collarbone, cracked all my ribs on the left side, uh, burst my lung um, or collapsed my lung and uh, one of the two burst collapse and a L1 burst fracture um, in the spot in my spine. Ooh. Okay. So this is, so, okay, you know, I mean, it's easy enough to go start talking about the hospital here, but yeah. you were 20 feet down an embankment. You weren't riding with anybody. I was, I mean, I, the crazy thing, I was riding with 30 people or so, but like I was third down the hill. I was chasing the, you know, the, the other two in front of me. Um, but we were so spaced out in these turns that we didn't see each other. So like I was basically alone. No one saw what I did. And, and, and when everyone passed me, they were up 20 feet and on the other side of the road, you know, and, and navigating their own stuff, them, you know, themselves down that, those turns. And I, I wouldn't imagine they would have heard me, but the, 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 what, what happened was there were some guys going up the hill. So they were on my side of the road. They could see me clearly. And I didn't know them at all. And they were on mountain bikes and they were just, you know, creeping up the hill because it was a climb. And I said, Hey guys, I need help or whatever I said. They immediately saw me ditch their bikes and ran down the hill and um found my phone like 10 feet up the hill which was ringing uh you know and I said I, I gotta call you back I need to call 911 and I'm you know laying there calling 911 like just playing it safe not trying to sit up or anything I didn't it wasn't like an instantaneous oh my gosh I know I can't you know I, I broke my back it was I had this tingling sensation in my lower body I could move my legs gently I couldn't get up at the time but it didn't like I couldn't sit up and it didn't it didn't, I don't know, occur to me that it might be because, because my back broken. I just thought, okay, number one is I'm having trouble. My body feels weird. You know, I should probably not move. So I don't, you know, break anything else and just chill and play it safe. And how did they extricate you? This sounds like this was, you were deep in an embankment. Yeah. I mean, they had, they, you know, they had the, they had like the, the ambulance and the car and the police cars and the fire truck and my friends were going past the the back end of the pack were going past and they were like, they were like, Oh man, I hope that's not one of us, you know? And cause they were, they were 10 minutes away from the end of the ride, you know? So they were all gathering in the parking lot and I had a car full of my car full of friends. When they got there, they were like, where's Rob? Cause we were going to do a run after that. 
and all their shoes are in my car, you know? And so, and I have the key. And so, um, yeah, that, that's why that's who was calling me, but, but they, yeah, they, they, they struck, they cut all my clothes off to make sure nothing was sticking in or sticking out. Um, and then they strapped me to a board and carried me up the hill into the ambulance. And were you at the time, were you like, it could, I mean, did it get more serious as they were taking you out or were you thinking? It got less serious. Like really? I got into the ambulance and um, like I, like I said, I could, I could move my legs and I could feel them at that point. And that's a weird point of my, my injuries, you know, spinal cord story, injury story, but. Um, Cause you can't now. I can't now in the, um, in the ambulance, it was me and one guy, the tech, and I was kind of breathing heavy. And he goes, he looked at my vitals and he's like, bro, why are you breathing so heavy? And I just took a good breath and calmed down. And I was like, and breathed normal. And I was like, I don't know, man. And he literally said to me, he's like, you got a broken collarbone. You know, you're gonna be on the men for a few months. You'll be back. I mean, you'll, you know, you'll be back on the bike in a few months. And I was like, yeah, I will. And they took me into the IC, you know, got to the hospital, which was close by uh, and everything, you know, um, x-ray shows this, CT scan shows this, MRI shows that. And it was just like, okay, you have broken ribs, you know, in a, in a, in a, or cracked ribs in, a, in, in addition to your uh, collarbone. Okay. You have a collapsed lung. Well, okay. You have a, you know, L1 burst fracture. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but no more tests because that's enough for today. <laughs> You know, and, and, and they do the thing where you like, you know, push against, you know, put their hands against my toes and like, push your, push your, push down, you know, push up on your, you know, push up with your feet against the hand and straighten out. They bend my knee, straighten out the leg. It was weak, but I could do it. And it went away in the next 72 hours, which is kind of unheard of. And they took my case everywhere eventually because they've never seen people lose. And not never, I was, you know, there's, there's not enough critical mass of case study for them to, to know or tell me what happened. You know, there's theory of like my thoracic column, which is right above that L1 um, vertebrae swelled up. So it pinched the spinal cord. That could be part of it. They found transverse myelitis, which is, you know, in one like horn of my spine or something like that, probably all as probably as a result of the shock of it all. Um, and, you know, those things combined probably all add up to um, after the fact damage of my spinal cord um, that cut off feeling and movement of my legs. That's the running theory. Wow. I mean, that, but it is strange, isn't it? I mean, spinal cord injuries are, it seems like no two are the same. I'm sure that some doctors would tell you, you know, that it's standard or whatever, but it seems like there are a lot of exceptions to the rule and you are an exception to the rule. So you, you went in thinking, Hey, I broke my collarbone. Like I'll, I'll go home tonight. Yeah. I don't get to do this Ironman next weekend probably. And that's going to piss me off. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking about that. you know, the classic joke, doc, how's my bike? You know, my carbon fiber baby that I'd finally bought after renting for so many years that I got the nice carbon fiber wheels and it was a Cervelo, you know, and it was pretty and everyone complimented my bike and it was basically brand new. It was six months old. You know, I'm like, how's my baby? Like it's at the fire station. We're not sure yet. When did you find out? Because you went from thinking that you'd get discharged that night, maybe the next day. And you might not be able to do the triathlon to you're in the hospital for two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks. How, how long was it for you then? Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was, I think it, when it was all over, it was something like four or five weeks in um, like in the um, hospital where I had an extended stay in the ICU just because of beds. They couldn't move me out because they didn't have another place to put me for a while. So I'm kind of hanging in the intense unit. It's literally, you know, um, and then, and then I went to UCSF for a couple of weeks, um, because they thought maybe it was something vascular. So they, they wanted to do a test there. So they transported me there. And then, um, and then, you know, there was a month of a month or so of rehab at, um, Santa Clara Valley down in San Jose. So it ended up being three months total. Um, but yeah, that kind of like that, kind of like that, uh, 
slow, you know, like, I mean, my ignorance of never having spent a night in the hospital in my entire life up until that point, um, I feel like it served me, <laughs> you know, that I was just ignorant. I was just like, okay, what now? Okay, what now? And, you know, like I grew up in karate and I have a very high tolerance for pain. So, you know, like that, I've had to learn how to like change my scale, you know, because my, you know, my, um, what I, you know, what, what I think hurts or doesn't hurt is different than I think the average person. And so, um, you know, once it doesn't go away and hangs with you, it's like, okay, that wasn't like, you know, I, you know, I, I block, you know, what like a karate thing where like you got hit and that's going to go away soon. You know, that feeling that tingle is going to go away soon. This is like the same day in and day out, you know, and I can't sit up. <laughs> So were the doctors talking about this? Were the were the therapists talking about? It? Did they start looking at you as a spinal cord injury? Oh or- yeah, immediately. I mean, I I I was in a very fortunate place. The um, my surgeon is one of the like he's the go-to spinal um, neurosurgeon in Northern California. He's like a he's the top guy at UCSF. He's he lives in Marin. He um when he was able to took my plate my my case to Stanford to be looked over like. My my surgery was textbooked. Um, and, you know, doing, doing the screws and the rods to support the L1. They put it back together, grafted some other bone, and then, you know, put screws in the two vertebrae above, two vertebrae below, and rods. You know, to hold it all together. Um, and and then, um, you know, and he was it was mysterious to him. And uh, yeah, and I, you know, I also my general doctor. I'll never forget him either because he didn't. He didn't say, and I didn't really ask again, probably out of ignorance, you know, what, what are my chances of walking again? And everyone has that story of saying, you know, you gave me 2% and I'm going to beat those odds. I didn't have that experience or that, that conversation, um, which I thought was good for me because I, it was just like a slow burn as we went step by step, day by day to see what was returning or going away to like, let it, you know, let it, um, down on or whatever. Yeah. yeah, that that I, you know, like this is going to be a long journey, you know, in the end, we don't know because my case is weird and unique, you know, and, um, and so, you know, day by day, it, it just, I was, I just remember like a, a, a stretch of days in the hospital where I was like, okay, this, this is more serious, like, you know, it's, it's, this is going to be a longer haul than, you know, than I thought yesterday. You said you'd gotten bitten by the the triathlon bug, like that that very first time where you're like, okay, now I'm coming back. I'm going to train harder. I'm going to do this better. Were you thinking about triathlon while you were in the hospital too? I was. I mean, I was. I was forced to in a great way. I probably shouldn't start out saying it forced to, but um, the triathlon was the next weekend, and my you know my my team, my training team, who um, I'd spent. It was, this was September. So like that entire year with, you know, we spent a lot of time with each other and became great friends. Um, they all did it. They, they, they took Sharpies to their arm and dedicated the, you know, race to me and wrote Rob with the heart of the Sharpie and, and made signs. And they all text me and called me and I was tracking them all on my phone that day. Um, and, you know, and it was super cool. And they were, I mean, and they were, they were nuts. And how long ago was this? This was September, 2015. 2015. Okay. Yeah. So like, so, so they, you know, um, they, um, when I saw that it was kind of, and this is what, this is what especially Ironman does to you. Cause you put in so much work and training over a long period of time that when you don't get the chance to put it to test, it's really annoying, you know? And so for me, I was like, I spent all year getting to a point where I could probably cross the finish line at a half Ironman, you know? And then I don't get to try. And that pissed me off. And that's where I was like, I'm going to do a triathlon within a year. I'm going to walk across that finish line. And then as I was saying, like, as it dawned on me more and more, I was just like, okay, maybe I'm not going to walk across the finish line. Then I got on the Google. I said, I got on the Google because I have my iPad, you know, and I went, wheelchair triathlon and you know up came a grainy picture of who else but carlos moleda who i didn't know and i didn't know it was him at, the, at that time but that was my like you know download save this picture all i have to do is do what that guy did because i you know i don't have to recreate any wheel i just need to you know this is 
this is, uh, you know, just like triathlon, you know, there is a formula. There's a lot of formulas. You just got to choose one and follow it. And I was like, okay, this guy's done it. I just got to figure out, you know, how he did it and do what he did. Which I'm sure you've, you've got to know Carlos and in knowing Carlos, just doing what he did sounds a whole lot simpler until you actually get to know Carlos. I mean, he was the guy who was like, you know, what he, he had, you know, pins sticking out of his leg when he was in his first racing chair because he'd been shot in his leg trying to get pen and get Noriega out of Panama. So, I mean, it's, it, it is a daunting task, but that's also kind of the cool thing as you're leaving the hospital is like, well, it's been done and I need a challenge. I've been robbed of producing on the challenge that I had how much did that momentum keep you forward? Because in some ways, it's like you don't know what you don't know, right? Your naivete is like, yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it within a year. And were you looking to do a half within a year? Were you looking to do a whole or what? Or just I was triathlon? fine with the sprint. Okay. But I, you know, I knew if I was doing a sprint, um, I ended up doing three because I was just like, I mean, one was that, you know, the first one was just a test because um, the triathlon community is small and it's, and it, and it is, um, it's small and it's supportive. Like not only my own triathlon, you know, team, but the entire club in the, the Golden Gate Triathlon Club. And every, like, I always get this in, in um, Northern California as a whole, like, you know, people vaguely know my story or know who I am because they know someone who knew me and they, you know, and um, cause I was, you know, cause we're this triathlons, a tight community. And they came to my, my, aid like mad um and that was awesome but i'm not answering your question there was some, there was a part that you said about oh th there's a part about just carlos and yeah when i finally figured out as much as he did i was like you know i just got i just you know my my goal is just to do it once you know and i'll be and i'll be happy and you know um that that'll be cool hold on let's let's back up a little bit what carlos did i mean carlos was a navy seal yeah got noriega out of panama or trying to get noriega out of panama got shot Ended up paralyzed, got shot in the leg as well. He's done Kona numerous times, world champion. Five times, like five time champion. He's done it more than, you know, he's done the race more than that, but won it five times, including the year I got hurt. He decided to come back. You know, that, that was the year he decided to come back and do it. And then went on to like, like this, his, my 2015, his 2016. So what happened was, uh, like, what happened was one of the people that I trained with um, worked for Alan Shankin, who's on the board of the Challenge Athlete Foundation in Northern California. And she said, hey, I told my, my boss about you. When you're ready, he would love to talk to you. And I'm like, great. When would now be a good time? And, you know, I immediately got on the phone with him as quick as I could. And he's like, hey, when you're ready, we want to support you. I'm like, I want to do a triathlon within a year, you know, and da, da, da. I was, you know, like, there's. I think there's like, I feel like there's only like two or three or four maybe archetypes of, you know, spinal cord injuries, like your reaction to it, you know, and one is the me, the bliss, you know, the blissful, ignorant, like, I'm going to go rock the boat, you know, I'm going to go destroy the world or, you know, whatever I'm trying to say, I'm going to do something monumental, uh, you know, out of this. And that was me. I was one of those. And um, well, you were following Carlos, because I mean, Carlos left the left the hospital and what he went from Virginia beach down to Florida, right. In a racing wheelchair. Yeah. Well, and that's what he, so I, I think his quote was like, you know, if I think it was something I found that he, he said, he's like, if I have to be the, the guy in the wheelchair, then I'm going to be the best guy in the wheelchair. And I'm like, yeah, but what I'm getting to is what, what Alan Shankin got me to was an invite to a triathlon camp in at CAF headquarters in San Diego. And who is going to be the coach, but Carlos Moleda. And again, I don't know that he's the guy that whose picture I, I downloaded in the ICU, you know, and, um, but like every day, so like every, you know, he's just lauded by everybody there, you know? And so I, you know, I, like I already kind of got a feel for who he was, but we, I had the fortune of being in the same car with him when we were going to the ocean, when we we're going to eat, when we we're going to somewhere else. It was like, it was like, um, Jamie, I forget James's last name, tra para triathlete guys, Jamie and, um, Carlos, Ben, this guy from Utah and, um, and me. And so like we go home at night, um, my roommate and I are to our dorm room and where we're staying and I Google Carlos Malena and I learn a little more. I learn about Panama, you know, and then I get in the car with him. Hey, Carlos, can I ask you about Panama? You know, I get the 
like the the story you know like i have my own personal podcast interview like every car trip like he tells me about panama then i go back you know i go home that night and i'm googling i'm like this guy's freaking won the iron man like you know kona world championships and i didn't have any i didn't have any you know drive to get that far back then and i was like five times five times and the last time was this year and he's like 54 or something and then you know and then he so he coaches this camp and then he goes on to do some volunteer work um, in in not Nepal, but he but he did some volunteer work and then summits Kilimanjaro like you did. Right. And I had no idea he was going off to do that, you know, later on in the year. He didn't talk about it at all. And I was just like, man, <laughs> this guy. Yeah, I'm not trying to do all that. I just want to cross the finish line at the, you know, historical, you know, Mecca of, you know, Kona. That's it. That's that's perfect for me. You started out that Malibu race with a rented bicycle. Mm-hmm. When you get into paratriathlon, you not only need a bicycle, a hand cycle, but then you also need a racing wheelchair. How did you get this equipment? Because you can't even train without that stuff. You're not going back to your spin class. Yeah, this is so I will say I, I, the funny thing about that is the only thing that made me cry in the hospital um was not you know the the prospect of what could be it was the way that this community like i was talking about before rallied to support me um and like it just kind of validated you know the time and effort that i put into relationships you know that really valued relationships above a lot of other things and you know there's there's you know you could you can you can focus on a lot of things in life and and for me i you know i i really there's a lot of times where i probably should have been working or should have been doing something that probably benefited me more that i spent you know with people um in my you know just in the my life up to that point and when i needed it most they came to me and when i was and this community you're something. talking about is the so it was my tri- it started with my triathlon community and my and my extended family. I have a very big family. I'm the youngest of 35 cousins. Um, it started there, and then like, but then like my just my friends in who were not in triathlon in San Francisco, then my high school friends from Seattle, um, my 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 college friends from Pepperdine, like it just spread like wildfire. Um, while I'm just laying there in the ICU. I mean, I, they had to make a spreadsheet for coming to visit me in the hospital. So they, cause they, they, they were, you know, there's too many people coming at once at, at the wrong time. And then the, the front staff of Marin general came up to find out who I was because they were like, who are all these fit, sexy people coming in droves to visit this guy in the ICU. They're like, when we see this type of this type come in the door, we're like, yeah, third floor ICU room, whatever, whatever, you know? And, and it and it was a running joke that was really funny. But to the equipment point, like I was telling them, like I, I was telling a few of them at, at a gathering that like I I you know I have this goal. This is the equipment I need. All this equipment. It's literally like fifteen grand total to like you know really get what I want. And um and I but I just don't want to feel like a charity case. I don't want that feeling. I don't want to be that. I don't, you know, like I, I hate to be that in my friend's eyes. And I had this whole story. My friend just said, Rob, shut up, you know, squash all that, publish the go, you know, publish the fundraiser and we will effing fill it. I said, you know, we, and she didn't, she didn't abbreviate. She was like, we will fill it. And, you know, and you need to shut up because we will support you. And sure enough, like I asked, you know, I put 15 grand on the, it wasn't GoFundMe, but the fundraiser. And um, I got 17 in four and a half, five weeks. And, you know, I get, it, it put me beside myself and I was able to order my equipment. And because of how long it takes to custom, you know, build all that stuff, it, it literally shipped and arrived a day or two before I arrived in San Diego for that triathlon camp. It was, and then I had, and then I, like I did, I did my first triathlon, um, on a, on a, on a borrowed hand cycle and I didn't run cause I didn't have a race chair. Um, there was an Oakland triathlon. That was kind of my test, you know, getting the water swim. There was, there's a lot of, um, para support there. Um, and, uh, and then like two weeks later, 
Um, I show up with everyone. Jamie Brown is the other coach's name and Carlos and the rest of the CAF crew and my gear. And I got on the first time and it was like, I think it was the next weekend or two weekends later was the sprint triathlon in Santa Cruz. So it was the same beach, same water as what would have been the half same, you know, same spot. And so it was, it was funny. Cause you know, I, I remember, I know now getting those stares of like, you're going to do like a full on triathlon, you know, next weekend, <laughs> you just got your equipment. I'm like, well, you weren't fit. I mean, you couldn't have really been fit. You're coming out of the hospital. You're still adjusting to your new body, your new, you know, new muscles using your arms instead of using your legs. And then you have to get the technique, like getting into a racing chair. I remember the first time I got into a racing chair, it was hard to go straight. You're on the side of the road and you have to kind of have the front wheel steered into the, into the crown of the road to a certain extent, or else you just basically feel like you're going off the road or you push twice and then you steer and then you push twice and then you steer. Yeah. You got your equipment and two weeks later got into a race. I mean, was that enough to drive you crazy in the race? Well, it was like I, that race was like the, uh, I don't know, whatever division USAT championship. Um, and so I forget his name. There was a guy from, uh, from he lives in Puerto Rico, um, who was kind of like the golden boy. Um, I, I know him and he, he was there. He was like on point, you know, there was, so there was a, the, the great thing is that there was a lot of other para there um, of all, you know, of all time uh, types, you know, limb differential vision, vision, and which comes with a lot of support. Um, and there were some other people who were kind of in my boat. It was their first triathlon and they weren't that great. And I remember the three of us kind of swimming together, you know, super slow being at the midway point and just kind of, I stopped, they stopped. We all stared at each other. We're all struggling. It's freezing cold. It's like 56 degrees in the water, you know, and we're just like, not going to drown. No one's telling us to get, you know, no one's telling us like, you know, your race is over, get out because you took too long. So you know, it, it was, it was the same. It's what I learned in that first one in Malibu. It's like, I, I don't have a fear of drowning. You know, every, there's, you know, no, no one's pulling me out of the water. So I might as well keep going. What was the exhaustion like finishing? I mean, this was a short triathlon, but I remember doing my first 10k and I did my first 10k, I think in one of those old stainless steel racing chairs could barely get the thing to go straight. I think I did an hour and 10 minute 10K. I was so exhausted. It might've been, it might be some of the most exhausted that I've ever been in my life. So you did a 10K, you did a, because you did a sprint, a, a, an Olympic, right? So in that race? I mean, the, the, yeah, the swimming and the, I mean, I, I, it's like, I only have, I have rose colored glasses. I'm trying to like dig into what you're saying. Like, yeah, this, I mean, I remember that on the swim, the bike, I mean, the bike was hard, but man, I, I fell in love with biking. There's something about pushing yourself under your own power from point A to point B, wind in your hair, seeing the scenery, you know, live, like live and direct, you know, like not behind glass in a car, you know, like there, I just loved it. I mean, just, I was so excited to be out there. I didn't care how slow or how fast I was. Um, you know, the, the bike, I just, you know, I did the bike and I was, my times were abysmal, but I'm thinking about the race chair, you know, it's like I had, I did, I had a fancy top end, you know, race chair and there's one hill in there. If people who know Santa Cruz, like, you know, usually they go, they go backwards because it's so steep that in a, the, the way that a racing chair is balanced, if it's too steep, you'll fall backwards and turtle and be stuck on your back. Um, so you go backwards instead, or. I literally, one of my buddies, cause I, I mean, I had 25, 30 people out there cheering for me, my family, my friends there to watch me. And they were on that Hill. My buddy just put his foot out. I mean, it didn't, I was in the open division. I wasn't trying to compete for money and, you know, no, no, no race, um, officiant's going to like, you know, kick me out. So he put a, he put a foot behind my back tire, you know, I got a few strokes up that Hill and then he put a foot behind my tire and I'm just like, thanks man. You know, and a few more strokes and just took forever you know, and then, and I don't remember. Yeah. I mean, it was horrible. Of course it was horrible, but I didn't know any better. <laughs> the ignorance is bliss, man. <laughs> I was just doing it. And I, I got to the finish line. I crossed the finish line. There's this cool video, you know, my friend's iPhone of me just like, yeah, it looks horrible. I got the big mitts, you know, and 
my, I look at my technique technique now and I'm like, look at that rookie, you know, and, but I crossed the finish line and everyone was happy. And, you know, I was off to the races of that like finish line feeling that you get in triathlon or, or, or any, you know, endurance race. That's just like, you know, it's, you know, the, the, you know, the, um, you know, the, what do they call it? Like your, um, the, the, the endurance race experience is like excited and nervous at the start. You know, you get into it, you feel good. You get somewhere towards the middle, especially in Ironman. There's always a bewitching hour where you're like, why am I doing this? I want to quit now. I'm never going to do this again. You know, I should just quit now because who really cares? And, you know, able-bodied or para, it doesn't matter. You know, like you, you have this bewitching hour of, you know, of where you're just like in this, like, I hate my life. Why am I doing this? Why did I, you know, I'm never going to do this again. Get me, get me out of here. I just want to go home. And then you get a second wind. Then you're good. Then you hit the finish line. You know, and there's the finish line and the metal and the water and the bananas and the people and everyone. And you're like, when can we do this again? <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it gets you. How did that fit in the context of your original accident? You had the original accident. Then you ended up in the hospital. You realized that you were paralyzed. Then you came back to triathlon. Was this a... A, a, a signpost moment when you cross the line in terms of where you'd come from? Absolutely. I mean, it was like, you know, I mean, there's, there's nothing more like um, esteem building than like doing what you said you were going to do. Um, you know, I set a goal and I went out and I did it. It didn't matter. Like, in, and this is the, this is the every, every you know, um, everyday Joe part of it to me is that like, um, I get, I got, you know, when, when you and I met, I was sitting with Patrick Willis, who's a, you know, NFL star, um, who's arguing with me and whether or not I'm an elite athlete, he's telling me I am, I'm telling him I'm not, and I'm okay with that. It was the most surreal, you know, debate over the fireside, you know, it was hilarious. But the point being like, I mean, you know, there's data, there's data for my, for my, you know, for the way I look at myself, because before, and even now, you know, like, um, I, I was middle of the pack for my age group. They, they line you up against your age group in like either like five or 10 year, you know, brackets, 20 to 30, 30 to 40. In my bracket, I, before I was injured, I always, when I got, when I got good, I was, I mean, the best I got was the middle of the pack. Always. There was a hundred people before me, hundred people behind me, you know? And, um, and in, and even in paratri, I would almost argue I'm worse in paratriathlon. The only difference is I'm the one that shows up at, you know, all the time. Um, and sometimes there's two people there. Sometimes there's five people there, but none, like it doesn't, it didn't matter to me where I was going originally, like where I finish. Um, it just matters that I finished and that I was better than I was yesterday. That was my only benchmark, you know, and that's, it's like, and that, you know, and that goes for everything in life. You know, it's like, if I can just be better than I was last time, then I can, then I can, then I can see that I'm making progress. And that's a good recipe for living for me. I would imagine that allows you to be happy as well. Happy in your life. You're not searching for something that is so elusive that you'll never get there and that you keep beating yourself up each time you come home and go, oh, I'm no good. I'm no good. This is it. So how did you come to this idea of I mean, it's recipe in a lot of ways for, for happiness, for contentment within your sport. I'll tell you, it's, I, I had the good fortune out of difficult circumstances to get a lot of mentoring. So I was, I was a, I was a surprise. I like to say I was an oops um, for my mom and my dad. My dad was the bartender. My mom was the waitress, you know, at the Hacienda in Fresno. And, um, and they, you know, I was a surprise. They tried to get married. It didn't really work out. And so I grew up, you know, in a, in a, you know, the broken home, child of divorce, like these labels that don't mean anything to me. Um, cause I was fortunate to have like an extended family of grandparents. Um, especially my grandmother who really took, um, uh, you know, they, they really took after me when I was, when I was born, they were like, you know, we're going to make, you know, do everything we can for this, for this kid. And my mom, um, my mom put me in karate, um, and there's a long, like my, actually my mom put me, I might, let me back up. My, my mom remarried a bodybuilder who was a stereotypical, like gold's gym, eighties, nineties, eighties, eighties, seventies, eighties bodybuilder who Big said, muscles, I, don't, I don't want, yeah. yeah, I don't want to raise a kid who's soft. I was eight. 
And that all makes sense today. You know, like that all the, the travesty of that all makes sense today. But in the 80s, you know, the early 80s, like the mid 80s, whatever that was, like that was kind of like the norm, you know, and no one looked at it and went, oh, you know, Ugh, you know, um, maybe some people did, but not like they do today. And and so he put me in Taekwondo and then we moved to Seattle and they immediately got divorced. They were probably married for two or three years. And um, my my mom wanted to keep me in karate because she did see the benefits of it. And not even just with like, you know, getting tough. It was just the benefits of me getting out there and having a sport. And the social benefit. What about the mental? I mean, because this karate is such a study too, was it that? Yeah. Part? So, so my mom met a guy who um, grew up in karate, really successful in telecom. And then he started his own karate school out of his own stress. Um, and his style, Shudokan Karate Do, it's like, my, you can't really see it, but my, my, my black belt certificate that I got when I was 14 is right here because it means that much to me. Yeah. But like, uh, the style is like very full on Karate Kid, Okinawa and Karate Do that cares more about your character and who you are um, than how well you can kick and punch. And one, and one of the lessons that he taught to answer your question finally is, uh, he would say to us when we go to tournaments, I don't want to be known for having the best winners. That's great, you know, and, and we'll celebrate that. He goes, but I want to be known for having the best losers. So if so, for instance, if you lose on the most obvious worst call ever in the history of karate, you know, they missed your punch and you got, you know, whatever, and he didn't make contact, but they called the point for the other guy and you lose, you respect, you know, you respect the officials and you respect your opponent. You go to your line, you bow with respect, you bow and thank your judges, and we will go home and we will figure out how to make you better when we get home. But you walk out of that tournament like you walked in regardless of the outcome. And that amongst a many, many, many other lessons like was the one that applies here that really got, you know, really got me to be okay with losing and knowing that like, you know, like, like losing or, or whatever other better word you want to use is not the end. It's an opportunity to learn to get better. My horrible swim in Malibu was not the end. I suck, quit, never do the sport again. It was like, okay, now I have a baseline, you know, and I, how do I go up from there? And that's, and that's what, what was underneath, you know, my, my getting hooked in Malibu doing that swim. Um, that, and just another one, I had another mentor when I, in an adult in life, who talked about like building piles. You can, you can build one of two piles in your life, either a pile of evidence of how much you suck basically, or you can build a pile of evidence about how great you are. Like, let me ask the obvious question, which one do you want to add to? You know, and this was part in the context of goal setting. And she goes, you know, and she's and she would say, you know, most people are like worried about this suck pile, you know, like, why don't we focus on this greatness pile and build a mountain of evidence about how great you are, we are, you know, and not to not to, you know, be a jerk and have a big ego, but to but to have confidence that like, you know, I'm good, you know, I, I, I am, I'm good and I can get better at whatever I choose to put my effort into. Were you that kid already, or was this a massive transformation for you learning how to lose well, learning how to add to that pile to the positive side? That's always been my contentious argument about myself around like, you know, is it nature or nurture? I mean, my dad's always been the chill, you know, bartender, you know, like he's always been the good humor um, guy. And I've definitely got some of that, but I think it was, it was karate, you know, and the influence um, of that lesson and many others that like um, molded me, you know, and it sought me out to like, it, 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 it created a foundation um, of where like even later in life, um, cause I, you know, I came from, I came from, a, a, I was a, I was a surprise. I came from a broken home. Um, you know, we were, it was me and my mom and two cats, you know, growing up in high school. Um, and then, you know, my mom was diagnosed like severely bipolar. It finally had a name when I was 17 before that, she was just a wild case from the time she was a teenager. And I grew up in that. Um, and again, like for, that's where fortunately my grandparents really like 
really just were attentive to me and gave me a lot of attention and would take me for weekends or summers. And my dad would take me for a summer. He was in California and I was in Seattle, but like I had every opportunity to, to, I don't know, screw up and no one would have expected any more or less. You know, I'm the, I'm the black sheep of my family. I have no, I have three siblings on my dad's side who are very, much older than me, who are very content um, living, you know, their lives in Fresno, um, you know, and just kind of living normal, pleasant life. Um, and I'm the one who's like, I'm going to try to go to Pepperdine, you know, the second most expensive school in California to USC. Why? Because there's volleyball and beaches there, you know, like, and I'm five, eight, I'm, I'm half Filipino and I'm five, eight, but I want to go play volleyball at Pepperdine, you know, and, and, and I got in, you know, and then, um, and then I, you know, and, and, same thing with, um, same thing with, you know, triathlon was the same thing of like, I'm just gonna go do this thing. And now I'm known for it. You know, I'm, I'm, I have this poster on my wall, you know, and I'm known for this thing that like, no one would have said that 10 years ago, which is three years prior to me being injured. You know, no, I, my, I wasn't associated with triathlon at all. Well, you seem to have picked up so much, I mean, from the karate, but then also, you have to have picked up so much from living with your mother who was bipolar and undiagnosed. And then you had your friends who raised $17,000 so that you could get your equipment. Was there a responsibility? Was there an opportunity? What, what did you have in terms of a voice as you got into triathlon? I mean, it's not necessarily just what you're doing, right? I mean, it's kind of like, yeah who you are more so how did that work yeah i mean i like i said i I think in that just in that last vein like i built this guy like i'm very certain that like i could have been a lot of things um but i built this guy because i chose to believe you know when grandma said you can do anything you put your mind to you know um and and fortunately for me like i had some wins early on i got my black belt or actually my first black belt test i failed um, and my sense, I was my sensei's 17th black belt. So it was a very small school at that point. It's gone on to become very successful in thousands of students. And I don't know if he's in the thousands, but hundreds of black belts, you know, and I was number 17 and I failed my first test. And they're like, dude, you didn't show up, you know, like what the heck? And so I don't know how many months later I tested again and got my black belt. And then I taught, you know, part of it was from eight years old, I was getting these lessons. Um, and I was, uh, you know, learning about karate, like given this, the crazy, the awesome thing about traditional karate is like, it's a martial art, you know, you're taught it's, 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 it's kicking and punching and, 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 and I don't, like, I'm trying not to use the word violent, you know, it's a, it inherently it's, you know, inherently it's, it's about conflict and violence, but the rule is to never use it. You know, like if you got in a fight over words um, in high school or as a, as a kid in my dojo, you're out just like there's, you know, if it's not defending, um, you know, defending for a, for a, for a real reason or a threat, a real threat, if it's over words in the hallway, like you're out, like that's just, and, and there were kids who were kicked out. Um, but, uh, well, I think where I was going was I got my black belt at 14 and by the time I could drive, um, the next thing I did was start to teach. And I had kids who were eight years old looking up at me, you know, and I could see the look in their eyes um, that I had looking up at my sensei and that circle of life at 16, like that, that I'll never forget, you know, like that responsibility to, to, you know, to be for them, what my sensei was for me and knowing that I had all the tools because I had been practicing them for so long, like that circle of life responsibility definitely kicked in. And the same thing with, like you said, like my friends and the money and all that, um, good stuff. It was like, that reciprocity and and exchange of energy i did feel responsible to them but in the greatest way because people had my back and again it wasn't about finishing or winning even or maybe the other way around it wasn't about winning or even really finishing it was about um you know the battle the fight the struggle um you know to to go to go to go um, to go do it. Like they're, they're just like this. I, I fundraised the second year to go do an Ironman and continue my racing. Um, and one of my friends who was racing in France, I was at the half Ironman world championships in France 
one of my triathlon friends was there as well racing and we had lunch and you know and she's and she just said very succinctly it was just like rob like we love being a part of your journey you know like when you write about it in your blog and um you know up or down or sideways you know like what what you learn and just to see you you know go through this um we're on this journey with you and if we can support it by giving money like it's not a thing you know like the whole i don't want to be a charity case argument for me was only me holding me back everyone else was willing yeah i'll put in 100 friend, high school friends i hadn't seen in 10 years came through with like a grand you know like a, like two or three of them and I immediately got a hold of them. I was like, what the heck, dude? And they're like, hey, man, go rock that triathlon. You know, that was it. And, and it just, you know, it's like that. It's awesome to create that, like that swell of energy and that support and to feel it, you know, and to know that like, it's not about whether I win like a sponsor, you know, it's not like whether I even finish. It's just about, they love being on this journey with me and that like, that keep definitely keeps me going when I don't feel that connection because I'm not writing or something like, you know, or, or things like that. That's when it starts to get darker. Do you feel like you've, you've created your life? I mean, it's so easy for so many of us to be victims of our lives, victims of circumstance, but you, you've made choices to create your life, to, to surround yourself with a community, possibly more of a community than you realized. How much of that is conscious? How much of that is, is not conscious in, in sort of making those choices, making the choices coming out of your youth, those kinds of things. It's funny you say that because uh, my I made t-shirts um, for that fundraiser and literally it was hashtag you create your life create in red <laughs> um I'm wondering, you're saying yes did you know that Chris? um yeah i mean i had a like i again i had another coach um who uh, like a like a life coach type of coach who had this has this saying is that um my 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 faith or my belief in my creation um is bigger than my current circumstances and she makes you repeat that over and over and over again my my faith and and belief in my creation is bigger than my current circumstances and um so create's always been a word for me that i've always had on a wall or something um and i've always had those influences like i didn't know that i had my own like tony robbins and my sensei growing up and then after i graduated like i've just always been you know i i think where it comes from is with i had this argument with my mom over like air jordans back in the day that like she would say you know you have a champagne tastes you have champagne tastes and a beer pocketbook. And, you know, she had a, a good union job at AT&T and it was miserable, but it paid the bills, you know, barely. And I was like, you're miserable. You know, I'm 14 and I have the rest of my life because I had my, because the other side was this karate world, you know, where it was in Issaquah, which is like where Microsoft was exploding and everyone from Microsoft was moving to. And so I saw the other side and I was a part of that world and they all, you know, I taught their children and um, everything there was about, you know, it's possible. You can have this too. You know, like that was always the message I was getting there. So, so I was like, I have, you know, the rest of my years to go earn a champagne pocketbook to go with my champagne taste. Like I'm going to do, I'm going to level up this one and not level down this, you know, my pocketbook for, you know, for, for what, you know, like, I don't want to be miserable. And so that has always been, I think, a driving fire underneath me to like always do better. So when I got out of, you know, college, I invested in those personal growth seminars and I make fun of them, you know, and I, I went back and I got the next one and I went to the retreat one. And then I coached the, Goal, you know, I did the goal setting program and then I coached the goal setting program. I did, I really invested and really like tackled those themes in a lot of different ways from a student, you know, to a student again, then to a teacher showing someone else, you know? And so like, I saw all sides of what worked for me and what didn't work for me. And then I, and then I got to a point where I was like, you know, this stuff has to work in the real world and not in the bubble of the seminar room. And I took it out, you know, and I, and I, and I 
I tested my wares and that molded it even more. And then, you know, and even again, I, I'm, I, I can be as, you know, cynical and, and, and sarcastic about it all as well. You know, like the Michael Jordan, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh, darn it. People like me in the mirror joke um, from Saturday Night Live. Um, but then when I hit the ICU, all those people rushed to me. One of them asked me and said, Rob, do you have this, like, do you have this energy, whatever you want to call it, um, when we're here, this bravery when we're here, and then we all leave, the lights go out, sun goes down, then you cry yourself to sleep. Like, you can tell me if that's how it works. I was like, I haven't yet. You know, on that night, I used the tools that I learned in the seminar room, I, like checked in, like, am I, am I pushing something down that I need to let loose? Am I, you know, and there was nothing there. And for a few nights, I kind of did that a few times and there was nothing there. It was like all these tools that I invested in, I prepaid the counselor, the psych, you know, the psychologist. It was like, I, I had all these tools and they were so ingrained that when um, tragedy struck, um, they were right there. The tools were there for me to use You're mental prepared. judo tools were there for me to, to cope. Mentors have been so important in your life. What are you doing as a mentor right now? You know, there, there, I, I, you asked that question. I immediately think I need to do more, but the truth is, is like, I'm I, not telling you you need to do more. I know, you know, and, and I, like, I always remind myself, like, you know, crossing the Kona, the finish at Kona, you know, the finish in Kona in October is taking justifiably so most of my energy. That said, you know, like I, I, when I moved to LA, I immediately got, um, got in touch with Angel City Games, um, you know, and as a place to give back, I'm coaching track um, in there in the Angel City Games on in like next month, anyone out there and anywhere, actually, you can come in for free and do any most Paralympic sports in, um, on, in like June, uh, it's like two weeks from now, the 24th, 25th, 26th. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing organization. Angel. Yeah. And I, I met Clayton. I, you know what I did? I met Clayton at a Billy's expo and I just, we, I pounced on him. I was like, I want to play in your sandbox. You know, like I'm doing triathlon and I can coach stuff and no, 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 no. And he's like, Whoa, you know? And after a while he just said, Rob, listen, like your, this is your sandbox. You're in a sandbox. Like let's go, <laughs> you know, like, let's go play. And so, you know, and, 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 he, and, he, and that's how we met, you know, that's how I, through him is how I got invited to the um, athletes voice um, certificate program where we met. Um, and, you know, and so, so I'm, that is the way, you know, I, I, anyone, like I, there's a guy in, in Sanger in central California, you know, we were talking about smart trainers, you know, like anytime someone has it, I'm a total gearhead about every bolt on my race chair and hand cycle and every, everything. Um, and so, you know, sharing that knowledge amongst other people, I'm always open to it, you know? Um, but like once I'm, you know, once this feat is accomplished, um, there'll be much more of that coming to just, um, uh, you know, like, I mean, that's, that's just coaching the sport, you know, doing, doing some of the similar things that you do just to evangelize the idea of like, um, you know, there's still life to live and there's great things to be done, uh, you know, is, is, uh, in there and how that's going to unfold is still being written. How important is it, the mentor side for your personal health too? Um, it's, it's huge. I mean, there, you know, I, yeah, I, I think it was, it must've been since in karate where I, you know, where I really understood the importance of that and finding people who, um, can support you and are willing there's it's it's uh, same thing as raising the money you know all you have to do is ask and be relentless about seeking and there's a million people out there who are have tread your you know tread the ground before you there there isn't much you know yeah Kilimanjaro on a hand cycle okay Chris that one okay there's that one there's not someone before you Chris there wasn't but I got you, <laughs> you know, um, Carlos has you. And so, you know, and that's how, you know, that's how the world spins. Like if you, there's, there's very few things besides that um, where someone hasn't been down your, down that road before you, whether it's just surviving an SCI, whether it's, you know, a, a hand cycle division in Ironman, whether it's, you know, um, trouble, trouble with school in any direction. My grandmother worked with kids in, um, in uh, preschool. She had a preschool and worked with them and, um, you know, impacted hundreds of kids, 
kids' lives in that in that you know beginning fertile ground. It's all out there. Support is out there. You have to just have to be relentless about seeking it. And I learned the key of that about like it was a it wasn't a Michael Jordan quote, but it was one of those like you know I can't accept not trying. I think that was um, Kings, the uh, hockey player. Okay. Uh, everyone's out there going this guy, you know, I forget his name all of a sudden, Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky. Um, you know, he said, I can't accept not trying, you know, like I I'm, I'm okay with getting an N O, you know, but I'm not okay with never K N O W E. You know, I'd rather get a no and someone say that to me to my face. I, I preface a lot of when I prep, when I, when I meet strangers who, you know, might have something that I want, you know, I, that I want to learn. I often say like, I tell me no immediately, please. You know, but I'd rather have you say that to me than for me to never, you know, have asked for your time or this or whatever. This is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing the way that you've navigated through your life. I mean, we all have ups and downs and we have challenges and sometimes our challenges seem like they're way bigger to us than they are to other people or other people's challenges seem way bigger than ours are or whatever it is you know there's a back and forth on all of that but your your outlook and your willingness to share your knowledge and continue to grow in your knowledge is just absolutely remarkable so thanks so much for joining us rob i really appreciate it thank you i appreciate you chris it's great to uh talk to you and see you <laughs> always a pleasure man and uh, thank you to all of you really appreciate it i hope that you've enjoyed it please as we say every week if you enjoyed this please tell your friends please like us please follow us this will be a traditional podcast so if you can like and follow and tell your friends we will see you with another great episode next week thanks a ton take care bye